Edward Trotter Wesley Jr. breezed into Harlem in May of 1954, just days after the Supreme Court outlawed racial segregation in public schools, a landmark decision that Eddie was certain must conceal some sort of dirty trick. He possessed a degree from Amherst, a couple of undistinguished years of graduate work at Brown, a handful of social connections through his mother, and a coveted job on the Amsterdam News, although he quit in disgust three months after starting. He had not realized, he explained in a letter to his beloved sister Junie, how very small and unimportant a position was. Junie, in a mischievous mood, forwarded his letter to their awesomely disapproving father, a Boston pastor and essayist. Actually, he was at this time in Montgomery, Alabama, helping to organize a boycott of local businesses that refused to call Negro patrons Mr. and Mrs. Wesley Sr., as he liked to be called, thought Eddie lazy. But Eddie, to his own way of thinking, was simply focused. He did not want to write about car wrecks and speeches by the great leaders of the rising movement for Negro rights. He wanted to write short stories and novels and decided, in the manner of many an author before him, that earning a living would disturb his muse. So, for a time, he mooched. His mother sent money, cars were washed, meals were served, papers were sold. In those days, the seedier side of Harlem was largely run by a worthy named Scarlet, who had risen to power after the legendary Bumpy Johnson, king of the Negro rackets, was sentenced to prison for the third time. Scarlet owned a nightclub on 128th Street, and much else besides. At 27, a joyless term of military service behind him, Eddie Wesley was not known to be a scrapper. Still, he had a friend who had a friend, and before he knew it, he was doing occasional odd jobs for bluff, secretive, boisterous men who were or were not connected to Scarlet. It was a living, Eddie told himself, as he carried mysterious packages across state lines. "'Where do you go all these nights?' asked Aurelia, his unattainably high-born girlfriend, whom he often wooed by reciting Andreas Capellanus on the art of courtly love, medieval literature having been among his best courses at Amherst. They were canoodling, as it was called, in the shadowed booth at Scarlet's Club. You're so secretive, as though she herself was not. If I told you, you'd never believe it. Aurelia was much quicker than Eddie, and always had been. Then it can't possibly be another woman. You're one to talk, he said. I know, sipping her pink gin fizz with Kirschwasser, the drink for which she was known throughout Harlem. She was a columnist for the Seventh Avenue Sentinel, the second largest Negro paper in town, and wrote about everyone's scandalous peccadilloes but her own. I am one to talk, she said, and leaped to her feet, tugging at his arm. Dance with me. Come on. But before they could have their dance, one of the boisterous men tugged Eddie aside for a whispered conversation. Eddie, excited, told Aurelia they would have to make it an early night, conveying through his body English what he dared not speak aloud. You can't be involved with these people, Aurelia said as they walked through the sooty Harlem rain. She wore cheap plastic overshoes, but her umbrella was from Paris, where her aunt sang jazz. It isn't involvement in the usual sense. She knew his excuses, too. 
let me guess, research for the great novel. Something like that. They had reached the public library on 135th Street, three blocks from the apartment Ori shared with two other women. This was as far as Eddie was ever allowed to go. Aurelia kissed him. She had feathery eyebrows and a roundish chipmunk face. When she was happy, she looked like a playful imp. When she was earnest, the roundness hardened, and she became Hollywood's image of schoolmarm. This was schoolmarm time. My family has certain expectations of me, she began. I'm an only child. My future matters to them. A lot. So you keep telling me. Because it's true. The brow crinkled. You know, Eddie, my uncle's hotel business is... I'm a writer. They own hotels in seven different... I cannot do it. They had been arguing the point for years. Both knew the outcome in advance. Like two tired actors, they recited the same old lines. I have to write, Ori. The muse sits upon me. It's not a matter of choice. It's a matter of necessity. Then you should have kept the newspaper job. It was not real writing. It was real money. Later that night, as Eddie left the train station in Newark, a couple of thugs tripped him, kicked him, snatched the parcel in his neat brown paper, ran. They had marked him down weeks ago and bided their time until he got careless. He was told by one of Scarlet's people that the boys had admitted the crime. Not to the police. To Scarlet, who was said to have a way of loosening tongues. Eddie believed it. Maceo Scarlet's nickname was the Carpenter. A reference, it was rumored, to the unfortunate fate that had befallen his predecessor, whose right-hand man Scarlet had been, back when the poor gentleman possessed a right hand. Something to do with nails and saws.